Hey, really glad to have you out this morning. My name is Rich, and uh, we are in a series right now where we're just talking about hope as a church. And uh, we could use some hope in, in this day and age that, that we live in. And uh, I just want to do a quick catch-up, though, on where we've been in this series. In week one, we looked at how hope, as it's talked about in, in Scripture, in the Bible, how that kind of hope is a lot different than the kind of hope that you, that you hear talked about in the world around us. The hope that the world talks about it tends to be more along the lines of wishful thinking. So maybe some of you on the way in this morning, you were hoping that you wouldn't go in the ditch this morning, right, as you're driving through the snow. Some of you this last week, you're like, I hope that my pipes don't freeze on my house. Maybe you uh, put up a new Instagram or Facebook photo, and you're hoping that it will be the most liked one of all time. Come on, students, I know how you think. Or maybe you, uh, maybe for you, you're just hoping that you're not going to gain any extra pounds over the holidays? <laughs> Too late? Too late? Yeah? Yeah, okay. But that's wishful thinking, right? And that's a little different than the hope that the Bible talks about. In the Bible, the hope that we read about, it's, it's a confident, joy-filled anticipation of what God will do in the future based off of two things. It's based off of who He is, so His character, He's good, He's faithful, He's all those things. And it's a hope that's also based off of what he's already done in the past. So you know who God is, you know how he's worked in the past, and that gives you hope for the future. Um, to kind of help you understand a little bit of how that hope works. So I grew up in a home, we really didn't have a whole lot in the, the, the home that, that I grew up in, um, but I would always go into Christmas with this anticipation. And uh, like I said, we didn't have very much. Um, I lived in a um, my, my parents had this really old trailer. The uh, roof rattled on it and to, to, to keep it from rattling really bad. My dad had to put these old tires. We had like 20 tires on, on my roof. That's kind of trailer that we grew up in. But we always headed into Christmas with that, this anticipation that there was going to be some gifts, um, some stockings. Now, most of the gifts that we had were actually not from my parents. They were courtesy of other people's generosity. But I always had anticipation because of two things. One, I knew who my dad was. I knew that he was kind, that he was generous, that he was going to somehow find a way to make it happen. And two, I knew that there'd always been some kind of Christmas in the past. He'd always found a way to make sure that there was some gifts, that the stockings had some things in them. And so this is kind of like the kind of hope that you find in Scripture. It's based off of God's character, who he is, and it's based off of who he's, how, how, he's, how he's worked in the past. And because of this God that we serve, we can have hope. It doesn't matter this morning whether your circumstances are just the worst they've ever been in your life. It doesn't matter if, if things are merry and bright. It doesn't matter what circumstances you have. You can have hope because of this God that we serve. And uh, even though the, that we can have this kind of hope and talk about this kind of hope, it's amazing how often this, this hope can it can just be so hard to, to find. And, and you can have it one second, and it just seems to kind of slip through your fingers the next. And the, the question is, how do you have hope when, when we live in a world where there's just so much pain, there's so much suffering, um, in a world where there's so much loss, where things often turn out worse than maybe you anticipated them turning out? Uh, how is it possible to keep hope burning strong in a world that just seems to be relentlessly beating on hope and, and trying to take the hope that we have away from us. How do we keep hope alive? 
And this morning, I want to spend some time answering these questions, and I want to spend time in a passage of Scripture that you normally actually don't hear preached the week before Christmas, this passage of Scripture that we're going to be in this morning. You actually hear it talked and, and preached out of right around Easter. And, uh, but we're going to go here this morning. It's, it's a, uh, a passage of Scripture found in Luke 24, one of my favorite stories in the Bible because uh, for a couple reasons, but one of the reasons I love this story is it shows a side of Jesus that you often don't see. It shows this kind of mischievous side of Jesus. And um, it takes place at the end of Jesus' time on earth. Um, he has accomplished a lot in his 33 years. He has died for the sins of the world. He has um, defeated death. But now Jesus, on the man who, had, who everybody had placed their hopes in, he has, to everyone's shock and dismay, he has died on a cross, he's been placed in a tomb, and he's dead, and all hope looks like it's been lost. So the story, though, takes place three days after he's been placed in a tomb. Um, he died on Friday, it's now Sunday, Jesus has miraculously come back to life, but only one person has actually encountered him face-to-face, this lady named Mary Magdalene. The week before Jesus died had been the uh, big Jewish celebration called Passover, and people had come to Jerusalem from all over the land, hoping to see Jesus set up his throne and his kingdom. But now as he seemingly lays in the ground, some of his disappointed, defeated followers are kind of slowly trickling out of the city. And two of them are about to get a most unexpected traveling companion to walk along with them. We're going to read in Luke 24. It says this. Now that same day, this is the day that, referring to the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? So Jesus kind of mischievously feigns ignorance here. He feigns like he doesn't really know what's happening. He's God. He knows how many hairs are on the, the heads of each of these guys. He knows everything about these guys. He knows where they were born. He knows every single moment of their lives. But he comes along and he acts like he doesn't really know what they're talking about. And then he uses his God powers to keep them from recognizing him, which is kind of interesting to me when you look at where these guys are at in life. They're kind of discouraged, as you're going to see in just a second here, and Jesus doesn't show up on the scene and just kind of tap them on the shoulders and say, hey guys, here I am, surprise, it's me, I'm back from the dead. Instead, he keeps them in a place where they don't recognize him. He doesn't come in and alleviate their despair. He allows them actually to stay in that place for a little bit longer, which is interesting to me, and I've got some ideas why he does that, which we'll get into a little bit later on. But he, he asked them, what are you discussing? And the Bible says that they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? He's like, are you for real? seriously? Like, you have no idea what's happened, happened over the last few days? Are you, you've been living under a rock or something? 
And Jesus is like, yeah, kind of, but not really. <laughs> but they're dumbfounded that their new traveling companion just doesn't seem to have a clue what has happened over the last few days. And Jesus, Mr. Feign Ignorance, asks, what things? What things? What are you guys talking about? And I think when he asks that question, he's got a, a bit of a mischievous grin on his face when he says, what things? And then they go, about Jesus of Nazareth, they reply. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they, they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to be the savior of the world. And I want to camp out right here in this little, little phrase for a little bit this morning. You know, some of the deepest valleys we have to get through in life are the ones where you were full of hope, but then that thing that you had hoped for doesn't happen. You had hoped that your parents would be able to work through their issues, but in the end, they couldn't, and they decided to part ways. You had hoped that one day he would marry you and that you'd live happily ever after, but it didn't happen. And then the most difficult to digest are the hopes that, that we have as people of faith. You had hoped that, that that big step of faith that you felt like God was leading you to take would turn out a little differently than you thought it would turn out. Or you hoped that God would come through for you in this particular way, but he didn't. And these two men, they're on this road heading to Emmaus, and they're in this place. They had known Jesus. They had known that he was powerful, that he had influence, that he was a miracle worker, a prophet. They were full of hope. And, and really, the kind of hope that they had is the kind of hope that, that the Bible talks about, this hope that we talked about at the start of this, this sermon. They had based this hope off of who Jesus was. They had based this hope off of all the things that he had been doing, all these, these miracles that he'd been doing, all these things that he'd been teaching. They had this hope in, in Jesus. But here's where things get disappointing for them. They had thought that since Jesus was a certain kind of person and since he had done certain kinds of things in the past, they assumed it meant that he was going to act a certain kind of way in the future. And they had made some assumptions about how this was going to go based off of who Jesus was and how he'd acted. And, and surely he has to be the Messiah. Surely based off of everything that he, he's doing, surely he's going to set up a throne, he's going to set up a kingdom, and he's going to rescue everybody. He's, he's got to be the savior of the world. And after all, it just kind of makes sense. And aren't we just the same way? We have this picture of who God is, and we base our, our hope off of, of of how we assume he's going to act. And we go, okay, surely like, Jesus is powerful. He's full of love. He's not going to allow me to go through any hardship. Surely since he's powerful and loving, he's going to stop evil. He's going to put an end to evil in the world. Or surely he's going to heal my family member. He's going to save my son or, or my daughter. Surely he's going to take away uh, my pain. Surely he's going to make a way for me to, to pay my water bill or my heating bill. He's going to act a certain way based off of who he is. And then when it doesn't happen like we think it's going to happen, it's so easy to find ourselves in the exact same place that these two guys are, and we find ourselves downcast and disappointed. 
with the words on our lips. We had hope that he was the one who was going to, and you fill in the blank. They go on to explain to Jesus, and what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't you have just loved to be a part of this little Bible study that's about to take place? You have Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time, unpacking the greatest book of all time to two guys who don't know that what he's talking about is himself. And uh, you see, these men had been talking about the events. They've been trying to wrap their minds around the last week and around what had happened with Jesus, this guy. And they, they've been trying to wrap their, their minds around things. But Jesus knew that the problem wasn't actually in their minds. The problem was actually in their hearts. They didn't need to figure things out. They needed a fresh understanding of the truth of God's word and what that meant for them. And so Jesus, he goes back to the writings of Mo Moses which is to say he goes back to the very beginning of God's word. And then he begins to unpack what, what, this, the, what it says about him. Now, we don't know exactly what he said, but, but I like to imagine a little bit of how, how it might have gone. Perhaps Jesus went back to Genesis 3.15, where God makes a promise to the devil. He promises that the seed of Adam and Eve is one day going to crush his head, a picture of the cross. And then maybe Jesus is talking with these guys, and he jumps ahead to the story of Abraham and Isaac. And he starts telling them about how, hey, guys, remember how Abraham offered up his son Isaac? That's a picture of what the father did with Jesus, the father offering his one and only son for the sins of the world. And then maybe Jesus is talking through with these guys, and he gets to Isaiah 53. And he, he tells them and explains to them, how the Messiah is going to suffer, a picture that, that the Jewish people those, that day, they, just, they didn't have a picture in, in their minds of a suffering Messiah. But Jesus says, this is how it's going to go. He's going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. And he explains to them how the beating and the whipping, it, it, it was all part of God's great plan from the very beginning to heal the spiritual brokenness of mankind. And then maybe Jesus goes to, to Ezekiel 36, and he talks about how God promises to take our heart of stone and make it a, a heart of flesh, give us a new heart. Then maybe Jesus goes to Isaiah 9, 6, where it talks about a child being born, a, a child who's going to be the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the one whose kingdom would never end. And then maybe Jesus tells these two guys, listen, you've got to understand, this kingdom is here and now, right here, available to you. And perhaps he tells them all this stuff. But he goes on and on, unfolding scripture after scripture that revealed and spoke into the future about who Jesus was. And he's wanting them to understand a few things. He wants them to understand that even though things have not turned out exactly how they thought they would, they haven't turned out 
any differently than how God the Father thought they would. You see, to these men, hope had just been shattered, but in reality, reality, hope was more alive than ever. To these two guys, Jesus had just been a complete failure, his life ending on a cross, but in reality, it's how he would rescue millions of people from their sins. To them, Jesus is dead, but in reality, he's standing right there in front of their very eyes. And here's what I believe God wants us to know this morning, what he wanted these two guys to know. When it comes to our hopeless situation, things are not as they seem. Things are not as they seem. You might have limped in here this morning, hope shattered, or maybe it's just kind of teetering on the edge. Maybe things have not turned out like they were supposed to. You, you thought you knew how your story was supposed to go, thought you had it all figured out, and maybe you had it all figured out based off of, of, of how you thought God should work, but then it took a wrong turn, then another, and then another. Things are not as they seem. As you look at your story, maybe it seems like all hope is lost, and you find yourself in this place of just being downcast this morning, but I believe that God has you here this morning to, to let you know that things are not as they seem. To you, all the failures and all the mistakes of your past, it might mean that your story is over to you, but in reality, God wants you to know that he's just starting. He is just starting to write a story that where he's going to take your failures and mistakes and it's going to have a glorious ending. To you, all the suffering and pain that you've experienced, to you, you think that means that God's abandoned you. But I think God wants you to know that he is right here this morning, right in front of your eyes, and he's wanting you to know that there is a glorious hope in store for you. He wants you to know that, that he's for you, he's not against you. He wants you to know that he has plans for you, plans to give you hope, in a future, he wants you to know that the things that, that were intended to harm you, that he's actually intended those for your good. Going back to, to our, our story, we have these discouraged travelers. And they continue walking along the road as Jesus just unpacks the truth of Scripture. They still don't know that this is Jesus who's talking to them. But pretty soon they approach the end of their journey. And the Bible says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. And, and so they're like, this is our stop. And Jesus is like, okay, yeah, it's been great hanging out with you. He just kind of keeps walking along like he's just going to keep going. But he knows what's going to happen next. The Bible says, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And the Bible says that when he was at the table with them, he took bread, like we're going to be doing here in a few minutes. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And the Bible doesn't say what the look was on their face, but I'm imagining that their mouths were hanging to the floor as they realized that the resurrected Jesus was right there with them. I got to say, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I love the story about David and Goliath. I love the story about the Red Sea. I love the story about the, the, the walls of Jericho crumbling down. But sometimes those stories just kind of seem so big, they're almost incomprehensible. But this moment is so much more personal. You've got Jesus, who's the everlasting God. You've got the creator of the heavens and the earth, savior of the world. Here he is, sitting at a dinner table 
getting ready to have some, some bread with a couple guys and opening their eyes to the life-changing truth of who he is. And I believe that God can do that right here this morning. So often we think it's got to be this big, crazy, wild moment, but in a moment like this, God can come and speak and reveal who he is. But it's in this moment that these guys realize for the first time that, that everything that they had been hoping would happen in the future was presently sitting here at the table with them. And every one of us in this room, you know, we've got hopes. Maybe for you this morning, you're going, I don't know if that's me. Maybe your hopes have been just kind of buried underneath uh, a lifetime of broken hopes and pain and hurt. But, but, but we have hopes. And there are two groups of people in two different stages of hope that I just would like to talk to you in closing this morning as we wrap this, this thing up. Two different stages of hope. The first group are those in the, the stage that we're going to call the being kept from seeing stage. Being kept from seeing stage. So you've got these two guys in this story. They're walking down this road with, with Jesus, but the Bible says very clearly that they were being kept from recognizing who Jesus was. And uh, they were only in this place for a, a short time, but, but maybe there are some of you in this room, you've been in this place for a long, long time, a place of your hopes have been shattered, what, how you expected things would, would go, it, it just, just hasn't gone that way, and you have been in this place, and it's like you're being kept from seeing. And as difficult as it might be to hear this morning, the reality is that God sometimes will keep you from seeing. He just will. And when he does it, it is always for good reasons. Maybe he wants to test your faith. And testing, by the way, is always a good thing. It's always good. Students, testing is always a good thing. It just is. And, and the Bible says that when it comes to, to testing, um, it, it's, it, the testing of your faith, the Bible says, produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And maybe you're in this, this stage of being kept from seeing God's working in your life. And you're going, it seems like he's abandoned me. It seems like I have no cause for hope. But you're in this, this stage. And maybe it's because God is testing your faith. He's testing your faith. And sometimes God is like a good dad at Christmas. A, a, a good dad at Christmas will, will, will want to have gifts for his kids and will have those gifts wrapped, but then keep them hidden until either Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, however it is that you do things, but will keep those gifts hidden, not because the dad is mean, but because he knows that somewhere in the future, something good is going to happen. It knows that one day soon, those kids are going to grab those gifts, are going to wrap those gifts, and going to be full of joy when they see those gifts. There's going to be a lot of delight. And I think sometimes God is the same way. He's that, that good dad. He, he, he keeps things hidden because he tests our faith, but he also knows that somewhere in the future, there's, there's going to be good. There's going to be something good that he's going to work in our lives. And, and if you're in that stage this morning where you're like, okay, I'm definitely in the being kept from seeing stage. I don't feel like I've got cause for hope. I don't feel like there's, there's, there's hope for anything good in the future. Here's what God is asking you this morning. He's simply asking, will you persevere? Will you trust him? Will you hope in him? even when you can't see him working in your life. But there's another group here this morning who is in the only believe stage. 
the stage that Bruce can call the only belief stage. You're hoping for something to happen in the future that you just need to realize you already have available to you today. These guys in this story, they are hoping for something, and, and they're going, we don't even, th- th- our hope has been lost. We were hoping that Jesus was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We were hoping that he was going to be the savior of the world. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, guys, you actually have this available to you today if you have only believed what Scripture has to say about the Messiah. If you only would have believed what Scripture says about, about him suffering, and it's available to you today. And, and I believe there are some of you this, in the room this morning, you're hoping for something in the future, and God wants you to know if you would only believe, it's actually available, available for you right here, right now, today. Maybe you're hoping for peace. You're, you're hoping that somewhere in the future that life is just going to kind of all fit together and you're going to arrive at this place that we so often have envisioned in our, um, j- just in our way of thinking where everything's going to come together and all of a sudden magically, boof, we're just going to have peace. No more anxiety. Life is just going to be all of a sudden perfectly lined up. And, and, and I, what God wants you to know this morning is you can have that peace today a peace that's not based off of circumstances, but it's based off of who God is. He really is the Prince of Peace. He really is a good Father who looks after all of our needs. He takes care of us. We can trust Him. We can rest in Him. It's available to you today, but here's the, the question. Are you, you going to believe? Are you going to believe? Are you going to put your faith and trust in Him? Maybe you're hoping for a future that's, that's, that's bright, and God wants you to know that you can have that Today, with him, you just need to to believe. You just need to believe and receive what he has for you. After Jesus has has broken bread, the Bible says that he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then they got up, they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is has risen. The story starts with a little baby, a little baby with shepherds and a little baby with wise men gathered around worshiping. And the story with Jesus ends like this. He, he is risen. And because of that, we can have an incredible, incredible hope. And how I want to wrap up the service this morning is we're going to actually take part in communion. And I just think this is so good to do in the... In, the week before Christmas, right in the middle of this crazy, chaotic season where there's just a lot of stuff going on, to pause and go, okay, this is what it's all about. It's about Jesus coming as a baby so that he could die for your sins and for my sins, so that he could lay his life down for us. And this morning, we're going to take communion, and it's going to be with a heart of celebration because Jesus is alive. Because of the work that he did on the cross, we have an incredible hope. We have a hope that that he's going to come back again. He came the first time as a baby, but he's coming back again as a conquering king. And because of that, we can have this incredible hope. And so what we're going to do in a second is we're going to partake together. And, and how this is going to work is uh, we, got, uh, we have a table down here at the front. There's also a table at the back. Each of those tables has a cup of juice. The, the juice represents Jesus' blood that was, was shed for us on the cross and then we also have a cracker, uh, some crackers or some gluten-free crackers in the middle, if that's you. And the crackers represent his body that was broken for us. 
And this morning, as we, we take part in this, I would just ask one thing. I'd ask that you would, you would remember everything that he's done. When you take that juice, remember his blood that was poured out for you. When you take that cracker and you put it in your mouth and you, it's going to become broken in your mouth, remember how his body was broken for you and how because of the work that he did, we can have life, the Bible says, life eternal. So and as we sing this next song, um, what's going to happen is you can just come whenever you're ready. Um, and then you can go back to your seat and take it from your seat. There's not going to be a cue. I'm not going to say, let's all partake together. Um, you can just take it whenever you're ready. It's going to be a little chaotic in here as we just kind of get up and move all over the place, but that is 100% okay. But before we do that, let me, let me just lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, you're so good. You're so faithful. You're strong. You're mighty. You're selfless. You're humble. What kind of God comes as a baby? But Jesus, you did that. You did that for us. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. God, I thank you, Lord, that because of who you are, all that you've done, I thank you because of the, 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 the truth that you're coming back. Jesus, I thank you that we can have just this incredible uh, hope because of all that. And Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning that finds themselves lacking hope. Maybe it's because of their own personal circumstances. Maybe it's because they look at the world around them and they go, okay, this world is so broken and fallen and they, just, they lose hope because of that. Father, I pray that hope would come alive in them today. Let hope come alive, I pray and I ask. Lord, as we take part in communion this morning, I pray that Jesus, um, this would just be a meaningful time for, for each one of us. Jesus, that you would speak to us. And Lord, our hearts would be full of gratitude for all that you've done. In Jesus' name I pray.